talking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. If your inventory is close to the customer, you're going to have the best experience possible, which means that your forecast needs to be really good, actually per region, not just sort of globally. That's Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting. Rick founded RMW Commerce Consulting after spending 20 plus years as a technology entrepreneur and operator exclusively in the e-commerce industry, working with companies like Channel Advisor, BarnesandNoble.com, Mercantry, and Pittybos. Rick's work today is centered on supporting investors and management teams, incubating and growing direct-to-consumer businesses. On today's episode, Rick discusses creating a D2C channel that will ensure customer loyalty, the importance of accurate forecasting, and why cross-functional teams are so crucial for the successes of e-commerce businesses. Rick's certainly a thought leader in the D2C space, and I'm pumped for you to hear his thoughts on the growing D2C industry today. I'm Alex Kent, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. Here today with uh, Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting. Rick, thanks for joining us on Supply Chain Therapy. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, enjoying the good weather here in New York City, so uh, ready to have a lot of fun. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Well, let's dive right in. Tell our, our listeners a little bit about uh, your role with RMW and what you guys do and uh, your kind of day-to-day. Yeah, so I'm the founder of RMW Commerce Consulting. Uh, it's a firm I started a little over three years ago, and primarily I work with private equity-backed brands that are looking to grow and uh, improve their digital e-commerce businesses, whether B2B or B2C. And I work with these investors and CEOs either before an acquisition, post-acquisition, or uh, when they reach a transition in their business and they realize um, we really need to increase the value of this and uh, take advantage of direct consumer in a way that maybe mm-hmm. we hadn't uh, before. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the supply chain industry. What were you doing before this, uh, maybe five, six years ago, and um, how you kind of made that transition? Yeah. I, you know, I've been involved in you know in e-commerce for the past 20 years or so. Um, you know, I started at a company called Channel Advisor, which helped a lot of sellers mm-hmm. on eBay and Amazon. Uh, I was one of the first five or six employees there. I spent 10 years there. Um, um, been in and around supply chain, helped build a marketplace for barnesandnoble.com. Uh, spent three years at a company called Pitney Bowes running their product management for their global e-commerce team, which is in the cross-border supply chain. Um, so we did mm-hmm. a lot of work on behalf of eBay as well as uh, a lot of luxury beauty apparel customers that are, are shipping to you know, over a hundred markets around the world. So that's how I got into supply chain and, and uh, kind of just continued this in my consulting business really. Saw that there were so many companies still not taking advantage of e-commerce to its fullest potential. And, you know, the, the primary right. reasons for that that I saw were either a lack of talent or a lack of vision for what could be, what good is from a consumer experience point of view. And so how to bring that to life. Yeah. And I think that's interesting, you know, especially in your, your role now with RMW is, you know, when you're, when you're meeting with these potential investors, you know, looking to acquire a new company and, you know, how do you approach that with, with the vision of the supply chain and the, the true value that the supply chain can bring across the organization? And, you know, we always talk about supply chain is not a cost center. It's actually a value add and um, can help increase marketing, can help increase sales and, um, you know, obviously increase the bottom line. And talk a little bit about that and kind of the, the conversations you have with those investors. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I, I work in the middle market 
market, which tends to be companies at the top line revenue between 80 and 800 million a year. So these companies have supply chain. And a lot of times they have big retail right. customers, a uh, big marketplace. So, you know, it could be a big Amazon first party business, but not maybe a, a very small direct to consumer or third party business. And so what they understand is shipping pallets around. And, and replenishing stores. What they don't understand is how to get something to a doorstep and handle things like returns process and customer service and forecasting a direct-to-consumer channel and work, kind of working that side. So the value, it, it usually starts with, what's the value of D2C, period? And mm-hmm. why, why does it make sense to expand your revenue that way, to connect to your customers, to deliver a great customer experience, to expand and grow the brand across all channels, period? And supply chain is... Right. And technology both are huge enablers to that um, because otherwise um, the, the world is very competitive. And so wherever the consumer ha- has the best experience is where they're going to give their loyalty to as as most of us have become very comfortable buying things and then getting things at, at our doorstep one or two days with Amazon. And I, I think what makes my job easier is that Amazon has helped really sell that story to the world you know, for the last 10 or 15 years. And, you know, I, I, I'm not the first person coming around to, to explain the value of a, of a great supply chain and its direct impact on consumer sales. Right. And how important is it for for a brand to have that omni-channel mentality and and be looking to grow, you know, in, in multiple different channels, whether it's B2B, wholesale, direct to consumer, you know, signing up to drop ship through some of these large retailers. I mean, what impacts have you seen from just an expansion point? You don't have to name names, but uh, some of the brands that you've helped out and and you know, maybe increasing top line revenue. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, for someone to go from a full I guess, retail point of view, let's say they're in Target, they're in Best Buy, they're in Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or wherever they are, direct consumer business on top of that, nominally, if you're investing over the right period of time, that could be 25, 40% of your sales, your direct consumer business. And so the top line revenue can be a huge impact. Now, if you're starting from 1% of sales and maybe your direct consumer business is less than a million dollars, it's hard to see that at the beginning and it doesn't happen overnight. And and so I think if you want to talk about things that frustrate investors is like, first of all, like, why can't this return results in a year? You know that that are, yeah. are material from like a twenty five percent of my revenue point of view. So how how does that happen? I mean, how long does it take to get from maybe one percent of direct to consumer to twenty five percent? And you know, just spitballing here, but we don't have to give you know strict. Oh, it's going to take five years. It's going to take ten years because every business is different, obviously. But uh, you have to have a plan, right? You know, a, a lot of it depends on how your website traffic starts because acquiring the customer is the right. is the hardest part. And so if you have a lot of natural organic traffic um, or a lot of paid traffic and, and you have that skill set or you have people coming back to you to research, um, but maybe they're just not completing the transaction on your site. They're actually going into retail or they're going to a marketplace that you're on. Um, generally, to get to get to 25%, you know, I would say the average brand would take four or five years. That, that that's about a realistic time frame. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, you know, it, it takes commitment, right, across the organization. And uh, it takes commitment to, to deliver that customer a, a great experience so they keep coming back and, and keep ordering from you. And, right. and they, you know, come to your channel that, that you just started instead of looking elsewhere and looking at other products. So, I mean, talk a little bit about what a brand can do to just improve the customer experience on a, on a D2C focus instead of, you know, mm-hmm. anyone can improve a, a B2B focus. Not saying that lightly, it is still very difficult, but um, you know, I think the modern consumer nowadays is very 
focused on that customer experience. I know I am. Yeah. Look, I I think it starts. Most people think of supply chain. They think of the the back office. You know what I mean? They it, they think of it like right. when the order is placed. Everything after that is supply chain. Like so, I think there are a couple of areas of supply chain that a lot of people forget about on on the front end. Number one is forecasting. Like supply chain is usually one of the teams that owns forecasting. Like how much are we ordering and why mm-hmm. across all the channels. So that's number one. Second is um, cons- the consumer promise. At the point the consumer is researching on your website, what delivery experience are you promising? Meaning. How date definite are your promises and how cost specific are your promises and how far up the funnel can you push that? Because the the better promises you can make earlier in the funnel, i.e. not after they've gone through like three steps of checkout, um, the more the consumer is going to be confident that you're a great retailer that they're going to want to work with because during the research process, they're not going to have to say like, oh, this looks good, but is this really going to work for me because I need this for a party next week? Uh, that type of thing. Right. So I, I think pushing you know, pu- pushing it earlier in the consumer experience, that's a big part of supply chain. All the traditional supply chain stuff, like, well, I'm sure we'll keep talking about that stuff, which is uh, getting orders out on time yeah. and, you know, but... Yeah, I wanted to talk about some things that you know some people forget about. They just assume that uh, right. people were okay with five, you know, three to five day delivery, and you know, in by today, out by tomorrow morning, or like w- whatever it is, depending on your standard in, uh, in in your segment. Cloud supply chain combines the speed and flexibility of the cloud with the physical infrastructure required to compete. Want to learn more? Download our ebook, Cloud Supply Chain for Dummies. I mean, savvy brands. And find out for yourself. Go to store.link slash dummies to get a copy. Now, back to the episode. Let's just dive right in and talk about all about challenges here. Houston, we have a problem. You know, thinking of, of the number one thing you mentioned is forecasting, right? And you think of the supply chain as a back office. And forecasting really is a, is a supply chain function. And I think, you know, to caveat off of that, you know, one of the, the three individual challenges that I always think about is what is a brand facing today is, is forecasting. You know, right now we are sitting, uh, call it July of 2022, and, and we see a lot of organizations with a ton of inventory that they all purchased because they were forecasting that e-commerce growth and growth in retail was going to continue to grow. Um, we're seeing large retailers sit, sitting on a ton of inventory now. And, um, you know, that is a supply chain function that, that we need to get better at. Right. right? And, and it's some of the largest brands and largest organizations in the, in the world that are sitting on all this inventory. You can, you know, just Google it and, and look <laughs> at it. But what are some of the other individual challenges that uh, brands are facing besides, you know, an, an influx of inventory? I think you're hitting on a lot of this. I mean, I, I was preparing for the call and I wrote down some of the things you already hit on two of the three, which is forecasting and inventory levels. (laughs) Those are things that are on everyone's mind that there is carrier costs, you know, because of inflation and labor and all these things, um, carriers are raising rates as much or more than, than they ever have. And so this is a huge, uh, concern for a VP of logistics at a brand. Um, and I think a lot of, um, brand owners are starting to wake up to the idea that, this old game I used to play 10 years ago where every three years I would switch from UPS to FedEx just so I could squeeze one on the rate card. That's like, that's not the way we're going to need to work anymore because we're dealing with an end to end carrier and we can't be smarter about, can we actually choose the best 
carrier based on where the consumer is, where the inventory is. Our inventory, by the way, has to be in multiple locations. And we need to specialize a little bit more so that we can get the best rates on our most important routes. Yeah. And I mean, thinking of, of national carriers, I mean, y- you follow a lot of the uh, kind of startup tech scenes and, and a lot of the newcomers to the market. And I think, you know, we're seeing that across the supply chain industry of a, a ton of new players coming in and, and, you know, bringing additional value adds to help out those, uh, you know, retailers and and go to them and say, hey, you've been a tr- with a traditional, you know, national carrier like a UPS or FedEx. That's great. What if we offered you this service and, and kind of talk about some of that and, and what you're seeing in the, in the market as far as, you know, last mile capacity? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's sort of two parts of it. Number one is inventory is getting distributed more than ever. Um, and so this kind of, you know, almost gets back to forecasting is if your inventory is close to the customer, you're going to have the best experience possible, which means that your forecast needs to be really good, right. actually per region, not just sort of globally. So that's that's kind of number one. And then the second is, I think, um, kind of zone skipping as a as a function has become more important because you're able to save significantly on carrier costs if you're able to make a direct line, um, you know, across to a particular market rather than having it go through the traditional channels and incur all the overhead at each step, you know, especially right. with one of those national carriers. So I, I think the innovation is happening there where there is starting to be much more regional coverage in the last mile. Even the USPS is starting to allow big retailers to inject directly into its network on a local and regional basis if you're able to sort your packages the right way. And, and drop off those things to your facility. They're even willing to pick up those things from you. So Yeah, and I, I don't think we will get to a, a place in the next, you know, 10, 15 years where, you know, UPS and FedEx won't be the the national carriers of of record, right? Of of recommendation. They're not gonna be the go-tos. But I do think there is some innovation coming in the in the last mile market where, you know, they are gonna take a little bit of that market share just because they are offering a different value add and, and helping increase that customer experience. Yeah. And I've worked with brands that are that are you know, as they distribute their inventory, they're also offering same day service pickup from their own facilities. Um, and, and so, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are some people that are more in the D2C mindset and they have distributed inventory in warehouses and some people are using their stores for that um, and trying to replicate kind of what Target is doing in their supply chain strategy, who's kind of the most, I would say, advanced on the store-based fulfillment right. network. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, switching gears a little bit. D- tell me a, a little bit about how you know your work and your past life, or even now, really impacted the bottom line or, or drove significant business outcomes. Yeah, I, I think you know I, I was working last year with a, a, a client in the home goods space, and one one of the things they told me at the beginning of the project is something you hear from everything. It's like, well, you can propose a, a lot of good ideas, but we're not going to do anything unless they're pay for themselves. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is a great way to start a relationship. Um, and so we started working and then like, it, it's so funny. You're like, you, you start finding problems. First of all, like their warehouse facilities were over capacity, a hundred percent capacity. And this was all mm. mostly B2B. And you want to expand the business. You're like, what facility are you going to expand it to? And you talk to the head of supply chain. It's like, oh, we have plenty of capacity. And then you talk to the, the direct to consumer lead and they were like, it actually seems like the warehouse is pretty full. Like, who am I supposed to believe, you or my lion eyes? You know, right. I could see that things are stacked to the rafters. So as you kind of go into the into the project, just 
requesting cost data. There are people in the organization that know what the data is and know what they're spending per parcel, per shift, all the details that are happening in the in the warehouse to get a package out the door. Like, what are your per parcel costs? And kind of going back to the the financial plan, what we find out is like those things were being averaged across you know the entire spectrum, and so. Not only were they being average, but they're about three times more than the actuals. So mm. we found probably about 11 points of margin in their traditional P&L model that they were releasing to the board of directors like every week. And they wouldn't find out about the fact that that's a mistake until like the end of the quarter. So they were severely right. underfunding their business because of cost mismatches from their actual supply chain costs to what they were more or less estimating on a weekly basis. So we found them about 12 points of margins to fund all sorts of new, new projects. Um, <laughs> and you know, we actually were able to teach them that their direct-to-consumer business was a lot more profitable than they thought it was. And so sometimes it's simple things like, right. like sometimes it's not just the new projects and, and features that you're bringing to them. Sometimes it's, it's like what enables those features to happen is realizing that this is a business that's worth funding and shining light on something that maybe nobody was looking at, but someone from the outside coming in could actually dive into, you know, on a very detailed level, like what makes up my contribution margin and how, how do I ensure that right. like shipping this parcel out is going to be profitable? Yeah. And it, it's funny, you know, you think about that and, and you think of a, a traditional B2B player and their facilities are even set up mainly for B2B, right? right? And, and you have people that are like, yeah, well, we want to start direct to consumer and we're at capacity in, in our own, you know, fulfillment center or distribution center. And then say, like, oh, well, where are you going to do it? Right. And, and that's right. kind of the, one of those things. And, you know, you can outsource to 3PL, of course. And, um, but it's just one of those things that if you're so traditional in B2B, and you want to make this switch, you got to have some outside help or, right. or bring in someone that, that knows what they're talking about right. um, to make sure that, that you are, you know, this is a profitable business and, and you have to model that out ahead of time. Obviously. Right. And, and, and having that space is so important because it's not just something you can shift around every day. And, you know, I think in terms of right. challenges, um, if I would have had another challenge that I see literally almost everywhere is the direct consumer team and the logistics team often often have a confrontational relationship. They don't have a day-to-day, week-to-week working relationship where the direct, the head of direct-to-consumer, they understand the forecast of when things are going to land in the facility, how much is going to land and when. Let's assume in like pre-COVID times that things are supposed to land on time, right? We're, we're not in that world anymore, right. so we can, we can imagine that for no. a second. <laughs> um, but what they're not forecasting is sales week by week, skew by skew in the next eight weeks. And why is that important for supply chain? They need to plan facilities. They need to plan labor. They need to plan schedules. They need to understand that there's a peak coming up that they're not prepared for. They need to understand like all of these things. And if they're not having a conversation about it, then you know the, the warehouse team is waking up one day and you're like, well, we have all these orders and they're being yelled at for something they they really had no visibility <laughs> right. into. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that happens in the 3PL market, right? 100%. It's like, oh, you know, if, if your marketing team is out there and, and putting things on sale or your merchandise team and, you know, they're, they're, they have a lot of inventory, they're like, oh, we got to sell all this and, oh, let's do a sale, right? <laughs> a, a President's Day sale, a Memorial Day sale, whatever it may be. 
And if you don't let anyone know and you, there's not that open communication or those communication lines, it's like, hey, what happened here? Yeah. And, and what did you guys do to drive all this traffic? That's great. We're going to struggle to get these orders out, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I firmly believe that sometimes it's about people. Sometimes it's about technology and facilities, but sometimes it's just about process. And, and when you think about the basic mm-hmm. processes that are needed, it's like, what do you need? You need a cross-functional team. It needs to have the product people, marketing people, and the operations people, which includes supply chain and customer service, because... If you're not delivering things on time and people aren't getting their order confirmation emails or their shipment confirmation emails, then they're immediately going to go to the customer service team and spike that team. So either way, some team is going to be screwed. (laughs) And no one wants that, right? I mean, it's right hand's got to talk to left hand. You got to move at the same motion. You got to be on the same path and and continue to to push forward. And obviously everyone wants to grow, right? I mean, I I don't think anyone's happy just just having the same amount of orders month over month. Maybe you are, but you're always looking to grow. And and, uh, that's the beauty of of America. And I think of of being in supply chain logistics is, is more and more challenging. Yeah. Um, what's kind of the best piece of advice or, you know, best advice you've received or that you would give to, to supply chain leaders? The short answer is don't be in a silo. Um, and I think obviously it's important to work with sales, but it's also wor- important to work with marketing and customer service to understand a full picture of where the business is going. Because supply chain is, is mm-hmm. an area where unlike putting up a website or adding a new product to the website, those are things that can happen in, in days. Supply chain build-out can happen sometimes in weeks and months, depending on how complex the capabilities you need are. You might need time to research providers. If you're building out your own facility, that's going to take months and years. If you're standing up a 3PL, that might take weeks and months. And so having mm-hmm. those conversations in in advance, and just like the product and technology team have a roadmap for how they want to improve the website and the customer experience, you need to have a roadmap that actually synchronizes with the roadmap of the business so that you understand like, hey, B2B is going to become very important next year. I better get ready for that. Or direct consumer is going to become more important next year. I need to get ready for that. Or uh, we want to go on Amazon. What does that mean? Do we want to fulfill ourselves? Do we yeah. want to ship it to FBA? You know, Are we getting contacted about Buy With Prime? Even if we're not Amazon, that right. you know, you could be affected by Amazon. Right, of course, of course, and you know, you're 100 percent correct. You just as much of a roadmap and as much of a planning session you can have. I mean, I, I think so. I think of the the best supply chain organizations and and you know companies that I've ordered from, and you can tell that they have a significant planning process and just inventory levels and demand forecasting and okay which which are the providers of choice you know how can we market this provider of even a, a last mile provider right and um, here's the delivery that they're they're gonna offer and and you know here's a bunch of different delivery styles that we can that we can offer to our consumer so moving on to our, our next segment uh, the venting couch so talk. Me vent. come on vent. go ahead vent. I just needed to vent why don't you vent vent your frustrations we have all had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com and learn more. So, Rick, what is the craziest story from your career that you just want to vent about with <laughs> us today? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of it comes down to employers that don't understand what volume that they can handle and that you can promise to a customer. And so much of it comes down to there is a huge marketing event comes on that 
you know, eighty percent of the company knows is happening. Is all everyone's preparing marketing copy and material and technology and and whatever it is. And a little bit, the supply chain team is is not in any of those discussions. And so, promotional day comes, launches ten times the average daily volume for the same period last year. Ten times. Immediately, <laughs> promise dates grow out like weeks and weeks. Supply chain team is literally running into corporate, yelling at people, wondering like, why mm-hmm. aren't we involved in any of this? So it's it, it really comes down to I think collaboration. And when you talk about healing, there's a lot of healing that need needed to happen in that situation for the future. And look, sometimes yeah. that stuff needs to happen to make changes because you could say like, oh, we weren't included in that promotion and then maybe that promotion wasn't so bad. And so supply chain can cover up a lot of problems, you know, because of extra work, they can work extra shifts. I mean, obviously it helps sometimes that they know in (laughs) in advance more than than the day of. of. Um, So that that helps with, uh, you know, employee planning. But Sometimes something bad needs to happen for the organization and, and its CEO in particular to get a wake-up call and to start listening to the supply chain leader about why this kind of collaboration is needed. And so uh, I, I kind of feel like I needed to get that that off my chest from a, from a venting uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it go, I mean, it goes back to the advice that you just gave. And, and what's the one thing that you would, you would advise is collaboration and, and communication and making sure that left hand's talking to right hand right. and, you know, that everyone's on the same page and, and no one's getting a surprise and waking up and seeing, you know, a certain amount of orders or a, a certain amount of inventory and saying, where did this come from, right? I mean, there's so many functions that go into even getting an order out the door that I, I think a lot of consumers are learning about, um, you know, given the last two and a half years. But, you know, you've got labor planning, you've got space allocation, you've got inventory allocation, you've got skew al- specific skew allocation on where does that go and, and where is, you know, what does the demand look like for this skew in this mm. certain region and how much do we hold there? And um, it's definitely complicated and right. I think everyone is learning that. But that's that's awesome. 100%. Thank you for uh, venting with us yeah. today. All right, moving on to uh, the future here. What lessons uh, from the last two years are you implementing or, or coaching up uh, the, the brands that you work with to, to implement into the future? Yeah, I, I think to me, it start with simplicity. And a lot of times when people plan for the future, they're, they're planning for way farther than they are now. And so they might adopt a system mm-hmm. or use a process that is appropriate for a much bigger company. And I, I think, particularly if it's something that they haven't done before, I always encourage people to like, think of it as a prototype. Obviously, you, you want to plan for it to be successful, but there are different levels of that. There might be like A, B, C, and D versions. And they, they and a lot of times it comes from, and I hate to, to bag on vendor sales teams, but they, they get these emails and that, the, the emails get to the CEO. It's like, oh, maybe we need this. Like, uh, right. you know, Lowe's and Home Depot are using that. Like, well, they probably have about a million times more volume than you're going to have in the next 10 years. So maybe you should think about something simpler. Like, let's just clear an area in your existing facility and test this out and see if it's going to work. And then if that works, if you right. run out of space, then let's find a 3PL in the area. And so you don't have to ship this product across the country. Uh, and then that's step two. And then step three is like, let's make another facility, another facility on the other coast so that your West Coast customer, you know, so you 
you start to build them a plan, a, a sort of a phase plan uh, in terms of what happens next steps. So I think starting simple and then allowing yourself the flexibility to grow that solution over time are, are, are definitely things that I'm I'm thinking about from from a lot of my uh, a lot of my clients. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a great point, and I think you know obviously you deal in more of the mid market experience, but. We've seen even some of the largest brands in the world take that same approach, right? <laughs> right. I mean, just a couple of months ago, Amazon was saying, hey, we're going to sublease, you know, X million amount of square feet right. because we bought too much capacity and, and we don't know really what's going to happen. So here, here, sublease this space from yeah. us. And, you know, it happens everywhere. Right. And, you know, you're, you're, you're dead on. Yeah. You know, like talking to friends at Amazon, you know, about that decision and, you know, it's essentially, you know, w- what problem is that? It's a forecasting problem. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, even if the forecast was wrong, what does Amazon need to do? It needs to increase demand. So if demand goes up, right. we're not talking about this. At the end of the day, it gives their marketing team more work to do. Yeah. Of course. I don't think they have a problem with it, but who knows? Everyone does. Everyone does eventually, right? What are you predicting for the next two years? You know, what is something that we haven't talked about yet? Maybe people aren't talking about, uh, you know, it's hard to predict anything. Who would have predicted the coronavirus ever happen? Who would have predicted, you know, this, the economy to be where it is today? You know, what are you, what are we not thinking about? Yeah. I think the next two years, we, what are we talking about? We're, we're still, I would say, not at the bottom. You know, if you talk about like slowing of demand, like demand seems to continue to be slowing. Uh, inflation doesn't seem like it's slowed down, which is going to affect consumer behavior. So if that starts slows down and then sort of slowly comes back up, is that going to be the te- next two years? I'm not sure, but it could be the next two years. And so if you think about that kind of scenario, what's going to be important? Uh, number one is profitability. You know, valuations across the board, software providers, logistics providers, brands, uh, the valuations that investors are paying for assets have come down. What does that mean uh, for for all of us? Mm -hmm. Profitability is more important because the money that we have already is going to have to last longer. Um, And so improving margins, I think, is going to be important. I think that to me, that's an an obvious big theme for the next two years that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to to predict. predict. (laughs) And here I thought you were going to be talking about, uh, you know, dealing with brands and retailers and talking about (laughs) supply chain in the metaverse. That's what I thought you were going to bring up. (laughs) Exactly. No, real real life application for right there. And I think, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And, and, you know, that's kind of the world we live in, especially in the supply chain and logistics space is we always have to adapt, right? It's not no, no bad things to say about marketing teams, but, you know, marketing does evolve. But I feel like supply chain logistics right now is evolving even faster right. than anything else. Yeah. So another big thing on a, on a kind of more flashy side is I think, you know, websites have been traditionally text and images. And that that has been like the website for the past 10, 15 years. I think with the with the rise of TikTok and sort of video based discovery, I think that's going to continue to make its way more and more to 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 websites. And I think you could even start to see some of those experiences on on Google and other sites where the new generation of Internet users continue to come online and they don't have the same expectations that you and I did and have been in the space for a long time where we type wor- yeah. words in a box and we get a collection of blue links. Like that's not how what they think about as the web. They think about the as the web is like what they thumb scroll on their phone. Right. And so mm-hmm. that kind of discovery is I think 
it, it's it's also to me like a pretty easy prediction that that visual immersive rich experience that also is sort of very quick quick twitch you might call it um i want what yeah. i want when i want yeah. it um and i want to be inspired and i don't want you to waste my time yeah i'm not gonna lie i i scroll through instagram sometimes <laughs> and and get that ad and i'm like all right sure right and it's like a 15 second buying decision instead of you know, 10 years ago, if I was scrolling through something, I'd go into Google and type in, okay, I'm looking for a new pair of shoes and I'm going to look at all these different options and it may take me 30 minutes, right? Yeah. To, to make that buy, that one purchase. Whereas now I can be, you know, someone selling and, and they're selling through Instagram shops. I, I can probably order that in about, I don't know, seven seconds, <laughs> 15 seconds. Right. A hundred percent. And and oh, by the way, this is my you know favorite athlete that's also wearing that shoe, or or here's someone that's you know I look up to, and they're also wearing this, and and they're an influencer, and oh, well, I'm gonna even you know they're wearing it, that makes it cool. Yeah, I don't know. Um, my consumer behavior is wild sometimes, <laughs> but um, I'm sure everyone has those types of stories too. <laughs> exactly. No, maybe maybe we need a venting session for you. <laughs> I ordered a pair. I, I will come clean. I ordered a pair. Here we um, go. It, it's like coming out now, folks. Crocs the other day, I was like, I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, I need these. They got delivered. Two day experience. One of those fifteen second purchases. I'm like, okay, here we go. I'll, I'll try it out. I opened the box and I, I was like, ooh, I, I'm gonna need to return these. <laughs> these are are not what I was expecting. Right. <laughs> My wife looks at me. She's like, what are those? And I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to return them. I was, you know, testing Everyone out the relax. fulfillment it's, experience. I can return you it. Know, <laughs> I can return it. They offer free returns. It's great. Oh, but you pay for shipping and handling. Well, yeah, I did. I did do that. Anyway. All right. Um, wrapping up here with Mr. Rick Watson. Rick, let's get into some quick hitters. Favorite concert of all time? Of all time, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, I went to a Ray Charles concert in Nashville. That was, I would say, by far my wow. biggest concert, which is, it's pretty, it's gonna be pretty hard to top, I think, you know, while Ray Charles was still alive. So that, that, that's my answer. Yeah, that would be incredible. Last thing you bought online since, since I just talked about my experience. Yeah, I actually, two days ago, I, I took advantage of Prime Day and I bought some, like, just household bath stuff like moisturizer and you know toothpaste and 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 different things that was starting yep. to get out of stock we definitely did this got it next i house. got it next day so you know i did buy something and i wasn't expecting it uh on prime day and it came overnight i was i saw it on my my house camera and it was delivered at like 6 a.m and i was like whoa that that's new to me uh-huh. the kind of you know overnight delivery um yeah Kind of creepy, but that's okay. That's why you, well, that's why you have a security system. <laughs> All right, uh, favorite book to recommend? Um, yeah, it's crazy. I am. You you know what? I, I'm I'm gonna go out of left field a little bit. I started watching this series on Apple TV last week called Pachinko, and it is intense and really good. I just learned it's based on a book, um, so I might actually pick up that book. Oh, but the series okay. is unbelievable it's like this drama i'm like crying at the end of every every episode it's ridiculous (laughs) we'll have to check it out all right if you didn't work in e-commerce supply chain what would you be doing uh it's a good question um probably probably in tech if if not tech probably in law or something like that 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Top three dream dinner party guests. Dinner party guests. Okay. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King. Those are those are my guests. I think that just would make all, a cool, all solid choice. I think that would make a cool dinner party. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Um, all right, wrapping up here with Mr. Rick Watson. Rick, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Follow your content, by the way. If you're not following Rick's content, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> his podcast as well. That uh, about ten minutes. What is it? Once a week, Every going week. through the top stories. Every in Monday morning, the Watson Weekly. Everyone should check it out. That definitely follow that. Um, you can go to my website, rmwcommerce.com, search for, for me on LinkedIn, Rick Watson. Uh, you'll find me any, any of those ways. Awesome. Well, Rick, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, let's, let's keep moving along in the supply chain. All right. Know anyone who needs Stored's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more.